When I was a little girl, I hated to take anything that was bitter. And I grew up, most of you knew that I was born in the tropics, in the Caribbean. And my parents and ancestors had these uh, traditional ideas about how you were supposed to help to keep a child's body healthy as that child is growing up. So they would uh, use a lot of natural herbs um, that they would pick from trees and what have you, and, and and they would make these tea that you had to drink. And they would tell you that it's good for you. You need to drink it. And, you know, as a child back then, you didn't dare question too much about why they were giving you things to drink. But somewhere along the line growing up, I would hear, oh, it would make your skin better. It would make your skin beautiful. Or I would heard, I would hear things like, oh, this will help to clean out your system, to keep you from getting colds and getting bugs and diseases. I would hear a host of things as to why I had to drink that bitter medicine. But I drank it. And I would plead and I would say, can I have a candy after it? Can I do this and do that? And, 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 and my mother and some others would say, no, just drink it down. So as a child, I have that memory in me. Now, true to form, I really don't remember ever being sick physically. I don't remember having the cold and I don't have, remember having to go to doctors or anything like that. But as I got older and, and came to live in the United States, um, and whenever I developed colds and what have you, because I stopped drinking those bitter things because I had a little more choice in what I did and what I put into my body, the doctor would give you pills. And I thought, oh, that's great. You know, I can take these pills and, you know, I don't have to worry about that bitter taste of that stuff going down into my system. But I remember as a teenager, I think I had some flare-up of sinuses or what have you, and I had gotten an infection. And the doctor prescribed, you know, some pills, and they were small pills. And I thought, this is, this is a piece of cake. I can swallow this pill, no problem, you know. But when I put the pill in my mouth and it sat on my tongue, you know, all of a sudden this bitter taste exploded in my mouth. And I was like, oh my goodness, I can't take this thing. But I had to take it because I knew that it was going to be good for my body and it will help clear up the infection. And then when they came out with capsules, I thought, oh, better, you know. Capsules, I don't have to worry about it getting stuck on my tongue because I hate to swallow pills. I do this funny thing even to today. Freddie looks at me and he smiles. I have all these medicines that I take and I have to put them, go through this ritual of putting it all the way to the back of my mouth and then I have to put water and I have to put my head back and shake my head before it can go down. And he looks at me like, are you serious? Really? You have to do all of that. It's a bitter thing to have to deal sometimes with the word of God. You know, 
I've entitled this message, A Bitter Pill to Swallow, because in our gospel reading today, Jesus had some words uh, to the crowd that was following him. And when we hear it for the first time, it sounds like, it could probably possibly taste like when you're trying to digest this, something really bitter for us to receive and to accept. For he said, if anyone wishes to come after me, that person must deny father, mother, wife, children, brother, sisters, and yes, even yourself, and follow me. That's a hard pill to swallow if you just take it literally the way it's written in the gospel. Because it sounds like it contradicts Jesus' message of love to all of humanity, to all of God's creation. When you hear and you read that verse, we know the opposite of hate is love, and yet Jesus is saying, you must hate in order for you to follow me as my disciple. And I want to make one thing clear before I go on with this message. There is a difference between the gift of salvation that God has offered to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And we who have to receive it freely by grace. There's nothing we can do to receive God's salvation. That is given to us by Jesus going to the cross and making his sacrifice, giving his life, allowing his blood to shed, which is representative of the Old Testament sacrifices, and allowing us to come into this relationship with God. That's salvation. That is God's free gift of grace to us. There's nothing we can do to earn that. But then there is discipleship. Discipleship involves following Jesus. It involves accepting Jesus' teachings as they are presented through his apostles that came down through generations and to us. It means having a relationship with Jesus uh, through the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit, who alone can give us wisdom in understanding the scriptures when we read them. And when we seek to understand what God wants us to understand. So make no mistake about the fact that in this passage from Luke, Jesus is not talking about the salvation experience. He is talking about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. One who will be learning how to follow the leader. One who will learn what it means to sacrifice yourself. One who understand what he means when he says, if anyone chooses to come after me, let them deny themselves. Pick up their cross and follow me. So let me help you a little bit with that word hate. Because 
immediately when we hear the word hate. It, it's natural for us to think about something that we loathe, something that we despicable, something that we just don't want to be involved in, something that we don't care to be a part of our existence, something that we do not love. But in the Hebrew origin of that word, there is a meaning that is translated through the Greek in that word that Jesus mentioned for us to be able to understand Jesus' intent. Because the word hate in translation means loving less than, secondary to, not being the priority or the prominent thing that you put all your focus upon. So when Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, they must hate mother, father, brother, sister, wife, children. He's not talking about the kind of hate, the emotional hate that is despicable that, you know, we don't want to be a part of. He's talking about the kind of love that says, you need to love me first above all of the relationships in your life. Think about that. You know how much you love your parents. You know how much you love your children. You know how much you love your grandchildren. I know this. I, am, I, I have experienced that. You know how much you love your spouse. You know how much you love your friend. And yet Jesus is putting the priority on this love. He's saying, if you are to be my disciples, if you are to follow me because I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to God except through me, he's saying, if you really want to follow me, I'm not talking about salvation, talking about being my disciples. He says then, you have to love me first above all those relationships in your life. Not only relationships, but the things in culture that can distract us and draw us away from following the narrow path that Jesus has called us to. So that we can grow, we can learn how to love the way Jesus loves, the love that is a humbling kind of love, the love that allows us to be able to see others through the eyes of God's grace and mercy and to forgive them. The kind of love that will allow us to hold our tongue when thoughts come into our minds and there's not edifying to the person in front of you, that kind of love that will say, I'm not going to say anything. The kind of love that forgives when people offend us. Because Jesus did say we are to honor our parents. Honor your father and your mother so that it will be well with you upon the earth and you will have long life. Jesus did say in his teaching that we are to love our enemies. Wow. Jesus did say that we are to, you know, love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So we need to understand when we are reading this verse where Jesus is talking about Hating and picking up your cross. He's talking about you have to make sure that love is first passionate for me. I am the first person on your scale of love. And when Jesus is the first, 
the priority in that love, then it's easier for you to love mother, father, brother, sister, or anyone else. Because the love that flows through Jesus, through us, is the love that only the Holy Spirit can give us. Romans says, in the book of Romans, it says that God's love has been poured into our heart. And that's the understanding behind what Jesus is saying to the crowd that's following him. And why would he say that to the crowd? We need to understand that if you go back into Luke in, in previous chapter to chapter 9, you would hear Jesus saying, the time has come and now it's time for me to go to Jerusalem. Jesus had his focus on mine, in mind. He knew that his journey was taking him to Jerusalem because it was coming near to the time for him to go to the cross and to give himself as a living sacrifice for all of humanity for the forgiveness of sin. So here Jesus is from chapter 9 and he's traveling through the region on his way to Jerusalem. And as he's traveling, of course, his reputation has preceded him. So people knew that he was doing all these miracles and he was healing and he was giving words of wisdom. So the people started following him from village to village. And as he's going, if you could imagine, it's like a parade going on. And people are joining in on this parade and they're going and, and everybody is waiting and watching and, and, and to hear and to see what Jesus would do. Were they thinking that he is on his way to Jerusalem to sacrifice himself on the cross for them? No, not even his disciples really understood, even though he spent three years with them telling them that the time was coming that he would have to go to the cross. All they could focus on was the immediate moment that, oh, we are in the, in the presence of this Messiah and he was going to be everything that we want him to be. He would be the Messiah that would deliver us from oppression. He would be the Messiah that would restore everything in our lives. And there's nothing wrong with believing that. Do you sometimes think that Jesus needs to do a, B, C, D in your life. And if it doesn't happen, that maybe you might be thinking, is this Jesus really worth it? But they were following him and Jesus knew that the crowd was growing and Jesus being God in human flesh knew that, you know, they had thoughts about him that were not of the right order. So Jesus looked at the crowd and Jesus started to teach the crowd. Because he knew that they were only following him because of what they could get or what they might get from him. So he wanted to, to send them a message about what it means to be his followers. It meant that you had to put him first. You had to deny yourself. You have to be willing to go where the spirit leads you. You have to be willing to accept what the Holy Spirit gives you in your life, even when you don't like it, even when you're not first, even when things don't go your way. And then he told him, he says, there's something important about in following him. He says, you need to count the cost. 
And he gave these two parables to help to illustrate it. He says, look, if a farmer built a watch tower in his vineyard, in essence, what he was saying is that he built it, you know, knowing that there was an end goal in mind, that he would be able to see anyone who would come seeking to steal or to destroy his vineyard. He also says, think about this. If kings were going to war, would they not stop and have a strategy and give thought to how much it would cost to go to war? Our president and, and our elected leaders have to think about that sometimes. What would it cost to go to war? And he says, let that be the application in your life. If you are going to follow me, have you given thought cost to follow the way he wants us to follow him? And I will tell you that we can say yes easily to this. But when the rubber meets the road and we have to deal with people who are not always nice in their attitudes and in their expressions, and when we have to deal with the fact that we have to sacrifice more of ourselves in our time, even in our money, for the gospel to be advanced, there are thoughts that start to emerge. And we have to really stop and think, are we truly following Christ the way he has called us to follow him? Or are we doing it on our terms? When we think about Jesus, we can ask the question, did he count the cost, you know, for what he had to do to fulfill God's plan of salvation and reconciliation for the world? So let's look at that. He came voluntarily into this world. He lived obedient under his parents and the religious you know, structure and law that governed his life as a child. You know, he cared for his parents, he loved his parents, and at the appointed time, he answered the call to go forward into the world, revealing God and God's truth. He also suffered unnecessarily. He died for the sins of all humanity. He rose, God raised him from the dead. He endured all of those things. Why? He knew a long time before he got to the cross what the cost would be. He knew that if he did not go to that cross, we would have no reason to be here today. There will be no reason for us uh, to come on Sunday morning to say we want to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. There will be no reason for us to think that we can find forgiveness in our soul. There will be no reason for the church to even exist. And yet, it exists. The church, we are one of many. But the church truly is not the building. The church is you. The church is me. 
The church is all those who believe in the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ. The church is we who come together in this faith saying that even though sometimes hearing the word and digesting the message from Jesus' teaching can be bitter, it is good for our soul. It is good because we have been given the gift of eternal life that begins right here on this earth. And when we come to the end of the journey, like yesterday I stood here and, you know, performed the rituals and, and the message for a dear saint in Christ who went on to be with the Lord at 95 I'm saying 95 because even though her birthday was in December, she claimed that she was 95 already. And to be able to say to the people who were grieving her loss, uh, that's a bitter pill to swallow because she's no longer here when we would like her to be here. But she's in the presence of God because she believed in Jesus' message of salvation and discipleship. And how can I say that to us this morning? Because when I heard her stories, when I heard and I saw the people who testified to her witness of God's grace in her life, I said to the people gathered, I don't have to say anything else, but her life was a testimony on its own. She loved the Lord with all her heart, with all her mind, with all her soul, all her strength, and she loved her neighbors as herself. I am not going to here to tell you that it's always going to be easy, but I'm here to tell you that it is possible because nothing is impossible when we put our full trust in Christ Jesus. And as we, the church, here at St. Matthew's, we are in this week where we are heading towards this consultation weekend. We have been on this journey from January, but I will tell you we have been on this journey long before January. We only came to the awareness of it in January. And in this weekend, we will have a choice to make. If we will accept the bitter pill that we will probably hear from the report, no doubt you will hear some good things, but you will hear some things that will be difficult to accept. It will be bitter to digest into your soul. But if we put ourselves aside and trust God and know that we have been called for a purpose and that purpose is none other than to glorify God in Christ Jesus who now lives in us by faith and we are his disciples upon this earth, then God will do what God alone can do in us in this place. But we need to ask ourselves, this question are we truly wanting to follow Jesus on his terms not ours are we truly wanting to pick up the cross whatever that cross will be 
and follow him? And are we truly willing to say unto God in spirit, not my will, God, your will be done, and I trust you. Speak to my heart, Lord, for your servant hears, your servant is listening, and your servant is willing to be obedient to your call.